and welcome to Kingwood United Methodist Church. Thank you for joining us today. Wherever you're listening from and whatever service you're listening to, we strongly believe because of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, there is always more life. So we want to give you just a little bit of an insight from a pastoral staff perspective about how we think about prayer. Because often um, people say, well, you're the preacher, you're supposed to pray. I'm reminded of the, the joke of the, the gentleman who woke up in the morning and he said, honey, I just don't feel like going today to work. I, I, I'm tired. The people have been mean. I'm overwhelmed. She says, you've got to go. He said, why do I have to go? And she says, because you're the pastor of the church and it's Sunday. <laughs> you know, we, we, we have a role that we function in. But we have an identity, and that identity we call in our United Methodist tradition the general ministry of the church, which is the general ministry that we all participate in from the waters of our baptism, regardless of whether we're ordained. It means the hands of Christ in the world. So we don't get to throw down like clergy cards and say, I'm exempt from certain things. But then there is, within the general ministry, there's a representative ministry. People who have felt the call of God, I'm one, feel called into a representative ministry in the church, affirms the gifts and graces for the leadership and the life of the church. I don't pray just for my role. I, I pray for my identity. And I wanted to share that with you because as we think about prayer, we come to this convergence of this sacred day in which we celebrate in the rhythm of the church Palm Sunday that launches us into the passion, and we continue to seek Christ's face in prayer. So we're going to pull these two together. We're going to begin on the Palm Sunday road, but we're actually going to finish up later in the narrative of this week as we hear, how did Jesus pray for the church and his followers? Our text today comes from the Gospel of Mark, the shortest of the four Gospels. It is Mark chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. I invite you to stand as you are able. Mark chapter 11, verses 1 through 11. I think that's Mark chapter 1, 1 through 11. It sure is. Okay, church, we're going to go old school. Don't watch the screen. If you don't have your Bible with you, you can listen, and you can also use the pew Bible that's right there with you. Mark chapter 11, verses 1 through 11. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and just as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. And if anyone asks you, why are you doing this? Say them, the Lord needs it, and we'll send it back here shortly. They went and found a colt outside in the street, tied at a doorway. As they untied it, some people standing there asked, what are you doing untying that colt? And they answered as Jesus had told them to, and the people let them go. When they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks over it, he sat on it. Many people spread their cloaks on the road, while others spread branches they had cut in the fields. And those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Jesus entered Jerusalem and went into the temple courts. He looked around at everything. But since it was already late, he went out to Bethany 
with the twelve. This is the word of God for you and me, the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated, and as you are, let us pray together. May your spirit, O God, stand between me and your people so that the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts together would be shaped, formed, and molded into the good news of the gospel of Christ. In whose name we gather, in whose name we pray, and in whose name we will depart and seek to serve faithfully, following wherever Christ leads. And all of God's people said, Amen. Oftentimes we had two children growing up, we still have two children, and um, they're just grown right now, and we would, we would get the same thing everybody gets when it comes to Sunday morning. You know, do I have to go to church? I'm sure that's never been at your house, right? Like, do I have to go to church? One morning, a young, young boy wasn't feeling very good at all. He'd been sick, and mom could tell he was sick, so dad went to church. It was Palm Sunday. Mom and the boy stayed home. Dad comes home, and he thought, you know, I'm going to take some of the palms and, and take him home so he can know the story of what's going on. This is Palm Sunday. So he comes back home. The boy is still kind of feeling puny and, and says, look, I brought these for you. And the little boy says, well, what are those, Dad? He says, well, those are palms. It was Palm Sunday, the day in which we celebrate that Jesus has arrived at Jerusalem and we celebrate his entry and we wave the palms. And the boy said, great, the one week I don't go to church and Jesus shows up. <laughs> you, you, I find that Christ shows up all the time. You know, I, I hear all these, um, all these comments about, about developing leadership and servant leadership. And for a long time, I've wanted to say, we need to scrap the ideas of leadership, servant leadership. We need to master the art of followership first. Discipleship and learning to be a follower. Where is our cultivated sense of following? And today, what we ought to look at is, what does the text tell us? And what is the context of this text? So the context of the text, we read it on its surface and at 11 o'clock in the vine and here in the sanctuary, children will be waving palms, everybody will be just celebrating, but we, we forget there is a context to what happens here. You see, the last time there was a Jewish guy that rode into Jerusalem before Jesus it was 164 B.C. It was on nearly 200 years before this time period. And Antiochus had actually been overthrown. And the Seleucids, which were the Greeks from Macedonia that had overtaken, overtaken Jerusalem, were kicked out by Judas Maccabees and the Maccabean Revolt. And they have conquered and reclaimed Jerusalem. Now, you remember Hanukkah in the Jewish tradition. Well, they had created um, what they called the the desecration of sacrilege, they sacrificed a pig on the altar of the temple. So the temple had to be totally cleansed and they had a whole ritual for that after Judas Maccabees comes in and they cleanse the temple. But when Judas Maccabees has conquered the Seleucids and regained Jerusalem, he comes into Jerusalem and do you know what the people are doing? You can read in the historical books of 1st and 2nd Maccabees. It's in the... It's in the um, Apocrypha, that literally they took palm branches and they were waving them. And guess what they were saying? Hosanna. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord, the son of David. Why would they say son of David? Because David in history was the last one who ruled Jerusalem for the Jewish people. 
So the imagery in mind was that if we are going to talk about someone who's coming into Jerusalem, it's about someone who conquers with power and control. Jesus is coming in from the northeastern side through Bethany and Bethpage. He comes along what's known as the Palm Sunday Road that you can walk today. It's a pretty aggressive slope. He comes in around. He goes through what's known as the Golden Gate or the Eastern Gate. That gate was actually sealed up in 1538. And there was actually a Muslim cemetery created in front of the gate because the imagery from Ezekiel and prophecy is that the gate will not be reopened until Messiah returns. And Seleucid, uh, um, um, forget the name of the, the Muslim leader, the Magnificent, Solomon the Magnificent, he wanted to make sure that he could do anything he could to deter the, the Messiah from coming back. So not only did he seal the gate, he put a Muslim cemetery in front of it. So here's a word to history. Our God specializes in walking out and over graves. <laughs> it's not going to keep him from coming back. But that's the imagery, okay? So you've got this triumphant entry. Now, the other character that's at play here is a guy who's not even in the text, who's coming into town today as well. He arrives not with the fanfare of the folks in more common way on a donkey, but it's a guy named Pilate. You know, Pontius Pilate? You see, Pilate was the ruler of the Judean area for Rome, but he didn't like living in Jerusalem because that was slumming it. No, Pilate had a place at Caesarea Martimia, Caesarea by the sea. I was there last month. You can walk alongside and you see these uh, coral reefs out here, that, that these magnificent structures that were built on. He had a beautiful holiday inn that stretched right out over the Mediterranean. And he likes saying in Caesarea, but... When he knew it was coming up, he had to keep these Jews in order. He would come up and he would come into Jerusalem, but he would come in by the way of the Martimia, the way of the sea. So he would come in from the southwest side. Now, some people can conjure, and this is, this is totally conjecture, total imagination, that, that Jesus came in from the, uh, the northeast side and Pilate came in from the southeast side at exactly the same time. I, I, that's pure imagination. There's no historical record that said that Pilate got there at the exact same time. But we do know this, that if you wanted a modern equivalent to how Jesus entered Jerusalem and how Pilate entered Jerusalem, Pilate came in in an F-350 superstroke, lifted with a 4x4, four four, and Jesus came in on an electronic bicycle. Because Pilate would come in on a beast of war, on a stallion. It would probably be a majestic, large animal. Think of those big Clydesdales and those big um, Belgian horses that are the draft horses. It would be a large, it would, this is power, this is might. You see, Pilate wanted to roll in and remind everybody in Jerusalem that they may be God's people, but Rome was still their master. And it wouldn't be just Pilate. There'd be a stretch of military might behind him. Marching in to say, Pilate has arrived. Rome is in charge. Not Jesus. Jesus would come in in a very, very humble way on a cult. So I got to ask you today, which procession are you going to follow? Thanks again for joining us for today's message. We will return to the sermon in a moment, but first, we would like to ask for you to rate, share, and subscribe to our podcast. 
We believe God is doing some amazing things here at KUMC, and your feedback helps our church to reach new listeners that we wouldn't otherwise be able to reach. Now, let's get back to the work. Which one will you get caught up in? The one of this world that is driven by nothing but power and might and who ends up on top and who has the most? Or will you follow this procession that you've heard about, about this, this one from Galilee who can open blind eyes, who touches the lame, who reaches out, who teaches, encourages, who brings Lazarus back to life, who's going to love the world to death so he could love us all to life eternal? Which procession are you going to be in today? I want to lift up two voices that remind us the significance of what it means to be able to understand the journey is through the cross, not avoiding the cross. The first voice I want to lift up for you is someone who this past week we celebrated an anniversary of his death. His name is Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He was executed by direct order of Himmler on April the 9th of 1945, just days before the liberation of Germany. I've often used his quote at funerals that while he was in prison, he said it's nonsense to say that God fills the gap when we lose the ones that we love, but rather God fills that gap so our conversations can continue even at the cost of our own pain. I commend to you the reading of his prison letters. In one of those prison letters, Bonhoeffer said the greater part of our lives is pain is sort of a stranger to us and we want to be as free as possible from pain and and it's sort of one of our unconscious guiding principles. That's kind of true. We want to avoid pain. None of us looks to walk into pain. And he talks about in that same little vignette that what does the cross represent and what's beyond the cross? And he says beyond the cross is not what is infinitely remote but what is nearest at hand. You see, to move to the resurrection, you move to and through the cross, not around it, not avoiding it, but to it. And it is a path that leads to suffering. It is a path that leads to denying self and taking on something outside yourself. It's remembering you were created in God's image, the imagio dei in the Latin. God's stamp upon you, but the world wants to pull away and say, you're not worth it. You're not valued. You can't do it. You're not equipped. And then through advertising, it wants to tell you what it needs to fill that gap in your heart. That Voltaire once said, there's a Christ-like void in everybody's heart that only the shape of the Son of God can fill. You see, the journey to Jerusalem is about deciding which processional we're going to be in. And if you're going to get into the Jesus processional, you've got to know it's going to be a path to suffering and self-denial. It's not a path to your best new life. It's not a path that leads to getting everything you want. It's not a path where Jesus says, line up behind me and you will avoid the hiccups in 401ks during a high inflation year. It's not a path that leads to lower gas prices. It's not a path that leads to the avoidance of conflict and pain. It's not a path that means nothing's going to happen. In fact, all you have to do is look at John chapter 17 verses 15 and 20. I commend that to you. Write it down somewhere or commit it to memory. John chapter 17, verse 15. It says this, my prayer, Jesus is praying, my prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. Jesus is praying for the disciples just like he prays for you and me. You see, we aren't taken out of the world and following Christ. We're given the one that walks with us to make it through the world. 
to move through these times of difficulty and struggle and to find that true fulfillment that only comes when you set aside trying to fill all the emptiness in your life with the stuff of the world. It's going to evaporate. It's going to run out. But when you give your life to Christ and you get drawn up in his work, it involves sometimes self-denial. It involves a sense of suffering. It involves a sense of struggle. It also is the most fulfilling and greatest fulfillment in your life you will ever find. And it will carry you when all the world will fail you. And then in John chapter 17, verse 20, did you ever think about this when we think about prayer? That Jesus is still interceding and praying for you. Jesus says, my prayer is not for them alone. In other words, not for these disciples alone. Don't take them out of the world. Just protect them from the evil one. And I'm praying not just for these that are with me, but listen to this. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. Have you ever thought about it? You're part of a legacy that's changing the world when you follow Christ. And when you join in that great possession, procession that comes from Bethany and Bethpage in through the Golden Gate, you sing Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is the one who is the Prince of Peace, the Lord of Lords. But you see, there was another person in the Christian journey that didn't avoid the cross and press through it, who we celebrated, and I don't know that many did this week, maybe you missed it, but on April the 4th of 1968, Martin Luther King Jr. was assassinated. He was killed. Simply because what he was standing for is the voice of justice, and he was a part of the Christian faith. Friends, when we think about the processional that leads from Bethany and Bethpage following Jesus the Christ, the Messiah. You stand not only in the lineage with Christ, but these heroes and heroines of the faith who gave all of their life, Bonhoeffer, Luther, and nameless people, countless people whose names we don't know in popularity, but have decided to follow Christ. How's the old hymn say it? I've decided... To follow Jesus, no turning back, no turning back. Friends, will you this week choose to follow? Two things as resources in a practical way for you. First, uh, the Lenten prayer guide is out at the table between the hand sanitizers. This is your guide this week for you to have a prayer for the whole week, a Wednesday midday specific prayer, and also a prayer from John Wesley. So this is your prayer guide for the week to lead you up to Easter. Secondly, um, I get no benefit from this whatsoever, okay? I don't get any kickbacks. I don't get any paybacks. But I'm a huge fan of The Chosen. Absolutely love the series. You need to Google it. Go follow their Facebook page because this week, every night, they're going to have an episode that's going to lead you to Easter, and it's going to be available and free. If you want to support them, support them. But I'm saying, find a way that you don't simply say, gosh, that was sweet, pretty palms. Barbara did such a beautiful job with that cross. Doesn't it look great? Hosanna. And then go back to the regular rhythms of life. If you do, then this has been meaningless. But if you lead today saying, God, would you reveal to me by your Holy Spirit where I need to step into that processional that you're leading, where I need to choose to step out of the processional of the world that's filled with vitriol and hatred and the idea that social media posts means you said something or changed the world. But I want to follow the way of Christ, to stand with those who have no voice, 
to lift up those who have been beaten down and to proclaim the good news, the one who has found me. And God, would you help me be a part of helping others hear that good news? Would you do that this week? Would you be willing to move not just from Palm Sunday, but through Passion Sunday all the week? And on Thursday and on Friday, we'll gather and we'll celebrate these historical, biblical landmarks in our faith that lead us to the joy of resurrection. We're not there yet, but which procession will you follow? Let's pray together. God, this sanctuary is um, filled with beautiful images this day for us. They, They remind us of an event that begin the journey that changed the world, the most important event in the history of humanity in your redeeming love of Christ who came. God, we're mindful that there's such a historical significance that Judas Maccabees comes in years ago to cleanse the temple and to make it physically clean again, and yet there is one who will come this week to cleanse the temple in a different way to move away from exploitation, to personalize the faith, and to remind each of us that every one of our bodies is your temple because we are your creation. So God, help us. Help us not to absorb the broken messages of the world around us, but help us soak up the gospel message of who we are as your creation, who we're called to be in Christ, in the incredible joy that comes when a life is surrendered fully to Christ, when we step out in courage and faithfulness and we follow your lead without knowing exactly where the journey ends up. God, give us that kind of courage. Give us that kind of faith. This we pray in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And all of God's people did say, Amen.